So this morning we're continuing a little little series we have here as we're wrapping up our, our class on looking at different people from the from the Bible that in investigating their their spiritual warfare throughout um, their time. And today we're specifically going to be looking at Noah and Sarah. The three that were on the list for this week were Noah, Sarah, and Paul. And it would be impossible for us to get through all three of those. So I, I decided to focus more on Noah and Sarah. If you all have anything you want to say about Paul, if something just comes to mind, I would be more than happy to, to talk about that. Um, but as we started with David last class period that, that Kyle went through, and we're going to continue to go on for the next couple of classes, looking at, at, at different people throughout Scripture. Um, and I'll mention, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of class, what we're going to talk about on, on Wednesday night, to give you a little um, heads up. And some of you all might have already been thinking about this since you have the syllabus. Hopefully you have and be able to, um, to give some input this morning. But we're going to be focusing first on, on Noah and then on, on Sarah. And, you know, diving into their spiritual warfare as they lived here on earth and what we, what we know about them through, through Scripture. And, and I want you to, to, you know, think back about all the things that we've talked about when we've talked about the flesh and the spirit, how we've gone through the past few months looking at that and our, our goal of trying to have a better spiritual connection, our spirit, the spirit of God, and also with the, our connection with the spirits of each other and those that we come in contact with on a daily basis. So think about all those things in, in, in context and, you know, I guess, transport ourselves back to time of the flood and the time of the patriarchs, uh, the beginning of, of that time, which it's hard for us to do, but we're given insight. We're given the, a little bit of the historical context of what's going on. And let's, my goal is to have a, a discussion where we can learn from them. That's what we're supposed to, to do with history, learn, and to improve ourselves, improve that spiritual connection that is our daily continual goal that we are uh, striving for. So... If we go back into the beginning of Genesis and look at Noah, I'm going to be, you know, putting up some some passages again to give us some context, give us some descriptions of of him, his situation, the surroundings uh, that he that he lived in. So we're going to begin in chapter six. And beginning in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we see the situation, as most of us know, was 
was quite bleak. The, the, the spiritual warfare that would have been going on seems to have been a one-sided affair that every inclination of, of the thoughts of all humans' heart, the human heart was on evil, on wickedness, um, to the point that God was, as it says, was deeply troubled, and he, he regretted making mankind. But here we have Noah, and as it continues on in verse 9, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And verse 11 continues. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how, saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So the emphasis here is obviously on the corruption of mankind. And, but Noah stands out. And we see the spiritual warfare that he would have been encountering at this time. And we know things were, were quite different in the time of Noah. Many things that we, we're just giving little snippet, snippets of what is actually happening. But the earth was completely different. Its environment, the makeup of it, who was inhabiting in the earth, all was completely different. But we see that Noah was described as, as righteous and actually as, as blameless, somebody who was a follower of, of God. And as we know that, that God is, his decision is to completely wipe the earth of, of all living things, all human beings, um, and save Noah and his sons and their spouses. So, and he, he calls him out to, of course, build, build the ark to make this, this all, all possible. So, this description of, of the time and the people at this time, how, think of it again as a spiritual warfare, how hard would it have been to actually do this and accomplish this? How long, my good Bible students out here, how long did it take him to build that ark? 100 years. 100 years, right. Approximately 100 years. That'd be pretty tough for a preacher to be preaching while he was trying to build. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Peter, Peter describes him as a, a preacher of righteousness. So that describes what is going on and during, probably before he was building the ark and obviously while he was, was building the ark. And... Again, these, descri these descriptions of corruption, wickedness, evil, all, all around him. 
But yet, he continues on. And again, the times were completely different. He's communicating with God how that's happening. We're not really told. It could be all kinds of ways. But he is, is being led, led by God. He continues to, to follow God as God is telling him, instructing him how, how, how to do this. And his... His obedience is, I mean, is, is amazing. Here, here's two verses in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Basically saying the same thing, that once God gave him the instructions on how to build the ark, he said he did everything as God commanded him. And then later, as God is telling him to enter the ark, and he says, seven days, this is going to happen. The rains are going to start in seven days. Go ahead and, and enter the ark. And it just says that Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. The, I, can't believe, I can't imagine the, um, what's the right word? The, <laughs> the, the people going against Noah at this time. And the persecution... Um, is I, I can't even imagine what, what he was going through but time after time we see his description of his obedience his, his faithfulness um, and, his, and his righteousness so you know thinking, thinking about Noah what in thinking about the, our classes that we've, we've talked about us, us attempting to bear the fruit of the spirit what, what do you see in Noah that his fruits that he gave off and showed to his... Like David. What's that? He was like David. He was a man after God's own heart. Yes, I agree with that. Patience. Patience, definitely. Forbearance, patience. I think that's one of the, at, at the top of the first things that I thought about. Think about his goodness, um, his, his faithfulness. I mean, they, as we just read, that he walked, he walked faithfully. Any others or anything else that, that comes to mind? I have a question. Yes, sir. What do we have? as evidence that supports Peter's statement, he was a preacher of righteousness. In Genesis, I don't read that description, but Peter obviously was led by the Spirit to write that and knew more than you or I know about the situation. But I can't help but feel that uh, the Hebrew writer shed some light on that in Hebrews 11, verse 7. He was moved by godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Mm -hmm. 
thing that comes to my mind is is being so loyal to God to do what he said. I don't know whether he actually verbally uh, taught these people, reasoned with them. I really don't. I've, I've suspected that he did, but I wonder if his, his allegiance to God in light of all that seemed to be against what he was doing, if that was not a lesson for everybody around him. I, I agree with that. And I also think of the, again, it's, it's speculation, but you think about him building this massive park on dry land. And as, as far as, yes, the, the world had never seen rain at this time, according to, to Genesis. And the questions, the ridicule that would have prompted this sort of preaching, as Peter puts it, and discussions, but also the continual obedience, as you said, I completely agree with that. I could, I could guess that people interacted with him. Oh, definitely. Yes, I would guess that too. And I would guess he was answering why he's doing it. <laughs> yes. Randy, sometimes the answers to questions like that are hidden in the words that are used in the original texts. Um, this word that's used in Greek here in First Peter is, is uh, a word that is often translated herald. Well, that's a little different than preacher, isn't it? Sure. Um, you know, if the angels, we say, heralded the coming of Christ, it wasn't that they preached the coming of Christ. It's that they were the announcers of the coming of Christ. They foreshadowed his coming. So I, I think to, to get too stuck on the word preach here, we might be losing the, the actual meaning. More of an announcing. Yeah. I, I just appreciate too his, because like it kind of goes along with the faithfulness, but his perseverance of just sticking to it when so many people, like you said, were ridiculing him or saying things. Kind of reminds you a little bit of Job, how, you know, all his friends and everything were just like, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> you're losing everything. And I, I just really, I think that really stands out on him. And, you know, to spend 100 years of, you know, continue to work on that, and which none of us could even comprehend, um, spend that much time on something like that, and just, uh, you know, just that character about him. Anything else? Anybody else? And we see that after, after the flood, in chapter 8 of Genesis, <clears throat> again, talking about Noah's devotion, his, his righteousness. And this is after they, um, after the ark settles and they, the water dries up and they exit the ark. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So, Again, more, more description of, of Noah, his heart, his devotion to God, his obedience. 
And his, his recognition and remembrance of what God had, how God had delivered him and his, his family, which I think is such another huge part of our spiritual warfare, is we, again, as, in our class we're talking about this, trying to further better our communication of our spirit to God. When God delivers, delivers us, or answers us, and sometimes the answer is no, or, or not, not what we're expecting, but are we, are we remembering that, just as Noah does here, remembering God and what he has done for us? And his, his example here of, of his, his sacrifice um, on building an altar, making a, a sacrifice to God. And, and you see the connection that how God received that and how powerful it was um, and about how he will, will not you know, curse, curse the ground, as he puts it, um, and will not destroy all living, living creatures again. And, and again, this, this continues with, uh, in chapter 9, being chapter 9, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So, Again, the, the drastic change of, of post-flood as compared to, to pre-flood, the, the, the world completely changed. But God, in his, his connection with Noah, is, is going to bless him and bless him tremendously, him and his sons, and, and give them uh, charge over, <coughs> over the creation. And... As you see, that, that things change, that they will be um, have dominion over everything, all all the plants and the animals. Um, so, again, speaking to the the connection between God and Noah. Um, and Jay already read to us uh, Hebrews eleven. Again, we have this description. Beautiful description of the faith of Noah it says when when he was warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with the faith. So what what other thoughts do you do you all have on the yes? Jim. I'm just stuck on this uh, this preaching. <laughs> Because, and I don't know, Daryl probably knows, but in Acts the 8th chapter, the disciples went everywhere preaching the good news. Um, that's intriguing to me. Did that mean that every single one of them was verbalizing, well, this is what you have to do to be saved? Or was there something deeper that we're missing? 
something deeper in Noah's life and his example that we're missing. Um, to be a preacher, and Darrell brought this out very well, uh, to herald that news seems to be our life's mission. That was Noah's mission for a hundred years. So how does that look? Well, kind of this idea that by faith he condemned the world is that if you're living a hundred years in a world of unlawfulness and, you know, just complete anarchy and sin, there's something in Noah that was not only the absence of that, but the other direction, is that if Noah was just another person doing these things, then there would be no objective standard other than God in heaven to say that these things are right or wrong. But Noah, by living a godly life among these people, held up a mirror and let those people see the absence. They saw something in Noah that they didn't see anywhere else, is that behaviors and the thoughts and actions that they were engaging in were not to be found in Noah. And there's a sort of reflective thing is that when you are in the world but not of the world, people will see that behavior and they will have two responses to it. Either they will want to know why you are lacking or doing those things and you know for what benefit, or they will become more incensed at the fact that you know they see what they are not. And um, I think that might kind of speak more to the idea is that these people were condemned by the mirror that Noah held up through his life of living among these people, living a just life. Um, so, you know, our, the way we live our lives are a testament, you know, is preaching as well. And I think that's definitely the case with Noah here. Yes, sir. You know, and don't lose sight. This, something means a lot with me here is... A lot of people on the earth at this time. And scripture tells us that it's only Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives. Everyone <coughs> is unrighteous. So there's more people in here to support each other, to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to keep the faith, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. There's nothing there but unrighteousness except for Noah and his immediate family. He's surrounded with no other righteous people. And for a hundred years, and even before that, because God condemned the world at that point, before he started the ark. That's it. That's all. And I can't imagine, even in a small community, even in a small neighborhood, being the only one striving to follow after God. Imagine that throughout all of humanity. Very true. I think it's amazing that uh, the small amount that went into the ark uh, in relation to the number of people that were in the world at that time. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about the amount of people that are in the church now, relate them to the amount of people in the world, it's going to be a fairly small saving of Christians. I was thinking that the, in Genesis, um, you know, it refers to the eight, but it, it never refers to the others even as being righteous and blameless, only <clears throat> Noah himself. So we really don't know anything about the character of 
his wife and son and daughters-in-law. Right. And in First Peter, it just says eight souls. I've heard sometimes people read into that. They'll say eight righteous souls. But, I mean, I don't think that's what the scripture says. It just says eight souls were saved. So, yeah. um, I don't know. Was that just God's grace and mercy to know yeah. to save his family along with him? Yeah, there's a lot of, obviously, speculation. Because yeah. I, I was thinking, too, as I was reading this, that... Well, Methuselah was still have been alive. Um, Lame, Lamech would have been alive. You know, his his grandfather, his father would have been alive. You know, I, I don't know. Do we take it that they were not righteous? I I, I don't know. So again, this is all speculation. Oh, you know, not making one down a rabbit hole. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I think that the timeline that they would have probably died right before the flood, not during the flood. Now, that's just me looking at, at the timeline and, and the dating. Yeah, they're hopeful thinking, but I think it does date that they, their deaths would have been maybe right, right before the flood. So, anyway, yes? Is it your understanding that the people uh, up until the, the flood had not eaten meat but then these clean animals were put on the ark in preparation for God's plan for them to have that, meat afterwards. That is my understanding. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but that is my understanding as I read this. And um, in, what was that, Genesis 9? Yes. Yes, 9. So again, a, a drastically changed world. Definitely. And as you... Obviously, you see their ages start to dwindle. The, the world, the environment, very, very different. So, any other thoughts or questions? We'll talk about, move on to, um, to Sarah. And this picks up in Genesis 15. <clears throat> Yes. It's okay. I, you know, we can't really talk adequately about the spiritual struggles of Noah until we talk about his later life. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, I don't want to belabor the point or take again take you off track, but um, all of the Bible characters that we're presented with yeah. had feet of clay. Yes. All of yes. them. And the fact that they found <clears throat> grace with God we have a tendency to equate that with flawless. True. And, and so we make heroes out of people who, at other times in their life, were really quite base in the way that they acted. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to remind us all that even when we're talking about such a hero as Noah, that there was a point in his life when uh, Noah w uh, was kind of a mess. And that's true of Abraham, it's true of Moses, it's true of David, you know, you can just go down the list. God has chosen to show us the, the best and the worst of all people. And I think maybe the message is we shouldn't take, we shouldn't take people as our heroes. Um, we, we might learn lessons from them, we might gain faith from them, we might emulate their faith, um, but there's not a person who has ever lived, all of whose 
traits we would want to emulate. And it, I apologize, I did not put that up, up there. That I mean, it does later in his life that incident where he ends up cursing his own son Ham, and Ham is part of this um, whatever was going on, but he curses him and his grandson Canaan and. It is a, it's an ugly, ugly thing. But and the drunkenness was a big part of it. Yes, yes, that's, yes, that's what we read that starts it out. And um, so, yeah, that, we do not want to lose sight of, um, he was not a, um, a definite, you know, um, flawless man. Yes. Well, there's the battle. Yes. That's the spiritual battle. Yes, that's what we're, yeah, exactly. The warfare that is going on. Sorry. No, you're good, you're good. Well, and isn't that hope for us? Because you can't just take a snapshot of our best day or our worst day. God sees our life as a whole timeline. And he, you know, we've talked a lot about, are you in the light or in the darkness? And it's not a moment-to-moment thing. It's it's over a lifetime. And so all of these people that we see in the Bible, um, so many of them I can relate to, but they also... Yeah. That gives me hope. Yes, that's definitely what, you know, talking about Sarah, I have so much, and we'll get into this, so much encouragement from her and her flaws. Um, I see that in myself and a lot of a lot of us, the humanity, um, we'll get in that in a little bit. Did you? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say it's a reminder too. You know, when we read through the Bible, we look at the characters because they're human and we're human, but it's really God's story. And it's God who in his grace and mercy time and time again says, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to rescue you. So, you know, we tend to look at the people and there's lessons to learn there, but it's really, it's, it's about God and what he's done. You know, and again, yeah, I don't prop Noah, we shouldn't, not as these um, unfallible heroes, but God did say, you know, because of what you've done, and again, he this is God's heart, but he was like, I will, I will not curse the ground. I mean, he takes away, and there's mystery there, what the whole curse of the ground back in Genesis 3, and he seems to take away something from that, in that statement, um, and to say he won't destroy all of living things as he'd done before. Um, so it's amazing what he does do, um, but it's also in conjunction with the faith uh, of Noah, which is an amazing thing. So we got about 10 minutes. Let's, I do want to talk about Sarah and again how uh, her, her trying to work things out on her own um, I think speaks to, to all of us and that, that spiritual warfare uh, that, we're, that we're focusing on. Um, so let's uh, get into that. And this is a, a background kind of introduction and back in Genesis 15 the the promise that God is making to Abraham um, and as he references this man will not be your heir this was um, at the time that Abraham thought his um, his his benefactor would have would have been his his heir would have um, been one of his his servants I believe it was uh, Eleazar of Damascus um, a guy comes to him and says, look at, the, look at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. 
so shall your offspring be. And so Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Sarah obviously knows about this promise, but she, as we know, was barren. And it says that she had borne no children to him. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So he slept. This is in six, chapter 16. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So, what do we what do we see going on here with with um, Sarah Sarai at this time? If I'm pronouncing that right, uh, her spiritual warfare. How would you all describe that? She's struggling right now. Yes. She knows what God has promised, but it's not happening the way she expected, and so she tries to take matters into her own hands. And Hagar did not want to be a part of that, and so there were consequences there for everyone involved, and now she's kind of reaping those consequences and probably questioning a lot of things with God. Um, but we see how God continues to work in her life and to use her, and this was just part of her her story and her struggles in figuring out how to trust God and what it looks like. I, we should have had a lot more sense than that. We should have had more sense. <laughs> yeah, I just proved a lot of things. <laughs> it kind of sounds like, I mean, I do this a lot, the play the blame game where I feel bad about something I did. And so if I think Brett has participated in that in any way, I might throw the blame on him. Um, and kind of wash my hands of it, but then it kind of sets up that bitterness in your heart um, that can grow, and we all know that that bitter root is really hard. Um, you can't get rid of it without God, and it festers. So, if when doubt is put in your mind or placed in your mind by by um, ourselves, I mean it is a, a dangerous thing. Um, and you think about the, looking at, at Sarah, think about your own doubts uh, in that spiritual warfare, the, the mind games that, that are played. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing. And what it, in this instance here, what it leads to, I mean, it, it, changed, it changed the world. We have a, the beginning of another, you have really the beginning of two nations through her, and the enmity between those, I mean, that lasted forever, and that this is the genesis of it. That's what doubt can do, what a, what a scary thing, and then as we take that doubt and we decide, okay, well, it's time for me to do what I think is best. Um, even though, again, we know the promises, 
we try to take matters into our own hand. And then when things go wrong, as Ryan say, well, then we're going we're gonna to blame someone else and not take the responsibility. So it's this back and forth. It is a true warfare. Um, but God is, is continuing to work as we see through her. He's continuing, thankfully, to work through us too, through our doubts, our fears, uh, and our failures. And, and it, it is a beauty, you know, on the other side of the tapestry, it is beautiful what is, what is happening. But so, so, some, so much of the time we get caught up in the ugliness of it. What, what other thoughts you have, There's also a lesson here about um, spiritual will and hierarchy that God sets out, and then the idea that when things aren't going well according to God's will, it might be time to try something else. Yeah. As if this is this um, arrangement that Sarai comes up with is not of her own creation, but this was something that in the Eastern uh, culture at the time, this had been done before. There was precedent to do this. But this is clearly not the intention that God has in terms of husband and wife marital status. So for Sarai to even, you know, give Hagar not just as uh, kind of this in-between or this circuit, but also almost this subversion where she becomes the wife, that she takes the place of the slave and Hagar becomes the wife. This is clearly, you know, something that wasn't supposed to be done this was lack of faith in the promise, and this leads to, you see there's some marital squabbling here. This makes it even worse. There's even worse consequences in foregoing God's intention for the hierarchy. And then you have also Abraham um, somewhat responsible here because he goes along with it, yeah. trying to buy this kind of conjugal peace rather than you know saying, no, this is the right thing. So there's also the spiritual uh, aspect there, a little battle going on. Yeah. And I do, we only got a couple minutes. I want to get through and see Sarah on the, I guess, the other side of this, that, as, as most of us know, this, this interaction where God comes with the, in the presence of these three men and announced to, to Abraham and to Sarah that they will have their own child, and she laughs at herself um, because they're approaching 100, to be 100 years old. Um, and... This interaction is, is, is fascinating, um, and it says the Lord said, well, why did Sarah laugh? And she denies this and, and lies about it. I, I didn't laugh, and, and the Lord says, oh, you, you did. <laughs> you did laugh. Um, so, again, this, this warfare going on with, with her, with the situation that she is in, and we see that... Once Isaac is born, the fulfillment has, you know, she names, she names him, he laughs, right? And that's what Isaac means. And she says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She also added, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him, at, borne him a son in his old age. So, as she is on on the end of this situation, of this part of her warfare, she's, she's owning up to what she had done. And it's a lasting you know, testament to her. And 
in Hebrews 11, as we see that it was by faith that uh, this was, she was enabled to, to bear, to, to have Isaac, um, and she's considered him faithful who made the promise because of that. So it was her faith that ended up, you know, fulfilling God's promise, and through through the warfare, we see this this uh, this beautiful end of Sarah. So thank you all for your comments on on Wednesday night. We're uh, going to look at Moses and Jonah, and then if you have any insight of those are the two I plan on talking about. Judas is also on the list too. If if anybody uh, has anything to say about that, uh, but. Time permitting, we'll probably be focusing more on Moses and Jonah. Thanks again.